the, the glorious new Disney Plus show, The Book of Boba Fett. I already enjoyed it. I thought it was really good. Giving us what we want straight off the bat. At least now Boba Fett and Anakin have something in common, because I imagine Boba Fett also hates sand. It's just impressive that he's still at the end of the episode managing to obviously take on that um, <laughs> much champ. This sort of like Latin remix of the OG Cantina music. Oh my god, it's Max Rebo. Hello there and welcome to episode 39 of Live from Vader's Castle. I'm Dan McQuarrie and I'm joined by my co-host John Lee. How are we doing John? Happy Book of Boba Fett release day. Hello there Dan, yes. Happy Book of Boba Fett release to you as well. well yeah, not, to be alive. not release day because we're not recording this on release day, but released week. <laughs> well, well. Oh, well, that one that'll go down the history books, no doubt. Exactly. An important an important time in the Stars calendar. We're back to having weekly new TV episodes and it's live action as well. So it's even more, not that animation isn't exciting, but it captivates the world more when it's live action. So it's an exciting time to uh, to be talking Star Wars again. Indeed. And obviously this is, uh, <clears throat> is this first episode 2022? Yeah, obviously. No, the the actual episode came out on the 29th of December, so it's just slipped into 21. Oh. <laughs> this is our first episode of 22. Yeah, this is our first episode of 22, oh, and uh, that's exciting. Exactly. The podcast has made it into a, a second calendar year. You're now listening to uh, Live from Vader's Castle in, a, in, in 2022 instead of 2021. How exciting. <laughs> I feel like 2022 is going to go down as... Uh, a uh, highlight year for Star Wars. Oh, I think it is. Book of Boba Fett kicking it off. Um, it's a big year. Uh, more Bad Batch. More Bad Batch. I think Andor's meant out. to be out this year. Mando season three as well. Yeah, it's going to be a going to be an unbelievable year for uh, for Star Wars. I think I'm very much yeah, looking forward to it. I think it's four live action shows, one animated show. Hopefully, if it doesn't happen again. Lego Star Wars is going to come out this year. Um, obviously, loads of High Republic books, more comics, more new books that aren't High Republic books. Oh, lots of stuff. Lots of stuff happening. Yeah, I mean, the, the new High Republic book comes out Tuesday. Yes, I mean, I've already ha- I've had it for like three weeks <laughs> because yeah. Waterstones in the UK just messed up there distribution and just sent us all copies so early um which i feel sorry for the people who are actually supposed to get advanced review copies because you know they have more reach than us and get advanced copies they can do their reviews they got it after me and i I felt really guilty but big up waterstones big up the uk big up the queen (laughs) and as i ordered one on amazon like a week ago and it says it'll come uh on release day just the fourth Oh, that's huge. Uh, I had to, yeah. to sadly wait. I didn't have the, the uh, prevision to order on Waterstones months ago. I know. I was warning you. I was warning you. I was yeah. like, pick up Waterstones. We love Waterstones. And they, they pulled through. Um, I have. I may have already read it. I, I, may, I may have read all 350 pages in like three days. <laughs> Oof. Must be good then. So I'm going to... Uh, I've got one to- token left on Audible. So I think I'm gonna get the the audiobook and then do a second consumption of the book before we do our um 
our Fallen Star episode at some point this month. Yeah, that's good. Good. Idea. Actually, I think I've got a few audio tokens on my yeah. Audible. I keep forgetting to cancel it, so I'm just racking up tokens and not using them. Well, I, I went uh, to cancel it, and then they said, "Oh, we'll offer you a deal. Where you can have three months for like four pound a month." And I was like, "Oh, go on then." Like <laughs> that's how they hook you. But I was just like, "That's a good deal." <laughs> Yeah, that was a good day, actually. So they've got me for a little bit longer. Um, but I guess that's a that's a, a good point to officially say that our book club this month will be Fallen Star by Claudia Gray, the High Republic book. Um, when to expect that, I have no idea. Um it, it will depend on John's reading speed and then my rereading speed, because I, I feel like I'm gonna need to read it again. Um, even though I literally just finished it yesterday. Um however it will be out this month and it might it, it might actually have to be for the first time in live from vader's castle history a, a bonus episode because i feel like the book of boba fett's not going to give us room to take a week off of talking about book of boba fett to talk about a book so we might need to do like a me and john see record for like two and a half hours and then cut it into two separate episodes we'll have to see how it goes yeah, I mean, I think you're right. I think Book of Boba Fett is going to give us much no. free podcast time to discuss uh, a, a whole, you know, Star Wars novel. Yeah, because um, uh, Bad Batch had some nice sort of like 20 minute episodes where they like paired up quite nicely. So you could sort of leave two to do in one week. But Boba Fett, I'm, I'm suspecting we're not going to get any of that. So uh, you will see Fallen Star at some point, but we are going to keep up the weekly Book of Boba Fett coverage until the show ends in February. So. Uh, without further ado, should we, should we dive in, John? Of course, let's let's get going. Kick it off, John. Tell us how you're feeling after after one episode of the the glorious new Disney Plus show, The Book of Boba Fett. How are you feeling? Uh, I'm feeling I'm feeling confident. <clears throat> I think this first episode was um, a great like first episode, like introduction into what we're going to be getting. Um, there was nothing like crazy happening. I think the, my favorite some of the you know the, the bits that you know were outstanding and stuff. There was a couple of good action shots, and you know, obviously the flashbacks about the Sarlacc pit and stuff like that. Um, and then a few bits in between with the, the uh, modern day, um, like I don't know, criminal underworld sort of bits and bobs. So I think it was a good a good opening um, episode to to give us the information we need to to keep going through the rest of the series without um, dragging it through many episodes. Does that makes sense. Yeah, I think it was a good giving us what we want straight off the bat information-wise and stuff yeah. like things like that. So I, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was really good. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I think it's it's one of those episodes where it's very much doing like a lot of the the heavy lifting and the foundation setting for the for the stuff to come. Um, and I think it did that really well. And I think um, they found themselves, I think, in quite a unique situation with the Book of Boba Fett in the sense of with The Mandalorian, this was a completely new character. So they, they could just start the show wherever they want and kick it off in a big way. Um, but I think with Book, Book of Boba Fett, they had a, I mean, I don't know, literally a book's worth of unanswered questions about what happened to Boba Fett, you know, after episode six, where has he been for five years? Um, you know, why did he show up the way he showed up in the Mando season two? How did he survive the Sarlacc pit? Like they had all these questions that they needed to answer. I mean, it wasn't, it wouldn't, the show wouldn't have worked if they hadn't answered these questions that the fans have been asking for you know, nearly 40 years and obviously it got answered in Legends and we've seen the canon ex- uh, ex- explanation of it now. Um, but I do think they did a really good job of balancing, like answering answering these questions that 
we needed answered, whilst also telling a really interesting, compelling story about Boba Fett reinventing the character in this, not reinvent, not quite reinventing him in like, it's a drastic change, but this is a character who's been through a unique circumstance and they're going to come out of it differently. And I think that's what we're seeing with Boba Fett, reminding us of this side of Boba Fett that George Lucas tried to introduce to us in the prequels and the Clone Wars of this sort of like tortured orphan who, you know, loses his father to a Jedi and, you know, grows up in this sort of like brutal kill or be killed world. Um, So I think they've done a really good job of balancing sort of the OG Boba Fett with George Lucas's prequel Boba Fett with sort of some of the legends Boba Fett and with this new Mandalorian Boba Fett all mashed into one and set up all the story, all the stakes in one 35 minute episode and then said, right, it's all going to blow up next week. That was the sense that I got. And I don't mean that as a criticism. I think sometimes you need that first episode to get back on track with the characters and then the plot can really kick in afterwards. So um, I think I, I agree in the sense of, I don't think it was a mind blowing episode, but I didn't need a mind blowing episode out the bat. I just needed something to tell me who Boba Fett is in this show that we're watching right now. And I think the the episode definitely did a perfect job of that. And I'm really, really impressed. I'm really excited to see the rest of the show. Yeah, me too. I mean, that first opening, um, another five minutes, I suppose, I really liked, um, of like, oh, you know, the shot opening of like Bob and his, uh, and his back to tank. And then like the flashbacks, so like, the shots of like Camino, uh, and then yeah. the ones of uh, Boba holding Django's helmet. Was, like, stuff we've all seen before, but then just seeing it in this context, you know, like for flashbacks from Boba's um, while he's in this tank, is just all. Oh, I sent shivers down my spine, sort of thing, like goosebumps. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> it was very, it was very. Few, it was a few like iconic opening shots from Bob's like history that has, that has like shaped who he is, I suppose. Um, yeah, and also because it was set to the backdrop of just seeing like Jabba's palace, but like completely empty as well. Which is, mm. you know, any time we've ever seen Jabba's palace, it's just been bustling with like all these scum and villainy. But now it's just completely empty, and it was just him and his back to tank having these flashbacks to his traumatic past but the traumatic past that he's flashing back to is episode two attack of the clones which is a obviously a film that a lot of people grew up on so that was a, a really yeah i agree with you an exciting moment to see yeah and um I'm, I'm glad that you know they they obviously went straight to the uh straight to the answer of how did bob of the sarlacc pit you know that's something that i think obviously everyone's been wondering for as you say, decades, and it, it was it was answered in legends and stuff. But to be honest, I think the legends like answer for it um, is ridiculously stupid. Like I hate it. I don't like it at all. I think it makes no sense because he falls back in. He like gets out and falls back in. Yeah, and like oh, yeah, I just I think it's stupid. And there's like one I'm pretty sure it's like in a book where you, like established like a tele pathic link with someone else in the Sarlacc pit and yeah. then can control yeah. the Sarlacc and he blows up his <laughs> jetpack and it's like, oh, just shut up. Like, yeah. it just makes no sense. It's just, it was the 90s. Just like standard, the 90s was weird. <laughs> yeah, it's like standard, like, legend stuff, isn't it? That, you know, it's just, someone's just sitting there thinking, oh, this should be cool. And it's like, no, it's crap. So, in my opinion, oh, I thought that's a little, uh, <clears throat> before I get sued. Um, but I think, I think they did a good job answering it in the, in you know, straight pretty much like straight away in the first five minutes of the episode, you know, you get the answer of how did Bobber escape the, the Sarlacc pit, and I think it's a yeah, it's a good answer. You know, he used his wits, his determination, and you know, some Mandalorian tech to get himself out, and you know, obviously uh, takes a hit, oxygen hit from some 
unfortunate stormtrooper is also fallen in and then flame throws his way out and then probably has to crawl his way through about you know 15 meters worth of sand to to get out so it's not like it it almost makes it look easy but i'm sure like obviously it's it's not when you break it down because i know that he's he's clearly yet to determination and uh it's you know strength and wits have all come into play to help him get out of this pit which i think is obviously exactly how you'd want the story to go for how bobber escapes such you know a terrifying mm-hmm. defeat or death you know from his wits and determination not some stupid telepathic link <laughs> well we we know that john's not gonna uh, not gonna go back and read the original version <laughs> But I no, I, I, I agree. I was um I was really surprised that it happened straight away. Like I sort of thought for some reason I thought they were gonna sort of long it out and make us wait like an episode or two to actually see the Sarlacc pit, but it was just like, you know, Jabba's Palace, Camino, Genosis, and then Sarlacc pit, like straight away. And I was like, damn, like what a way to open a show. But um yeah, I really, really liked it as well. Um firstly, I want to find out how that stormtrooper got in there. Not not for like a and you know how do you get in there that's a plot hole just purely because i think it'd be funny just to find out a story of you know maybe a stormtrooper wandering around the desert and then they just trips and falls in the sarlacc pit because obviously no stormtrooper ended up there during jabba's um sail barge trip out to the pit of carcoon so that little stormtrooper he saved boba fett's life so big him up um but no i thought it was really cool i liked the fact that you know, Bobber essentially awakens, I imagine, maybe like a couple hours after he's fallen in. Um, and he's just, you know, regains consciousness, is probably, you know, nearly um passing out from sort of oxygen and he's probably getting burnt alive by those digestive juices, which is why his face is so messed up. But then yeah, he has to just he has to use his mind and his strength just to burn the thing down. And that's what I really loved about it. But I also just love that they didn't hang around on it. They didn't make it like too much of a deal. They were like, the fans want to know how he survived. It's the perfect way to begin this like flashback story, but let's not hang around on it. Let's get it done. Let's have him crawl out the sand and then we're ready to go. And at least now Boba Fett and Anakin have something in common. Cause I imagine Boba Fett also hates sand after that ordeal. <laughs> yeah. I can imagine. I can imagine he does. <clears throat> and um, yeah, I think, yeah, as I said, I did a good job getting, as you say, getting straight to it, to the point, um, answering the question and then, <clears throat> you know, moving on to what, to then South, um, you know, what else he's been doing for the last like five years. Cause as a, to be honest, it never really crossed my mind like what else he was doing um, when I really thought about it uh, earlier. Because I was like, oh, he's in the Sarlacc pit. Obviously, there's the time difference about five years. And it's just like, I never actually sat and considered, well, he's not been in the bloody Sarlacc pit for five years, is he? Because, you know, he's starved to death by then. So it's um, it's nice that they've, they've gone straight into answering, like, what else he was up to in these five years. And, you know, why has it taken him five years to <clears throat> resurface sort of thing? Um, yeah. So I think the the pacing on the the backstory, and then um, I I always like an episode where like the um, the story has like run two running timelines. I just find it very um, entertaining. Um, well, it switches between like present day and past and stuff. Yeah, arrows a show that I really like that in. Yeah, 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 and I think this did a good job of um, keeping both those sort of storylines um, separate, but then like one didn't feel like it was like, overtaking the other sort of thing. You know, that you mm-hmm. didn't like think, oh no, I want to go back to the present day when they were doing the 
past. But then when they did eventually go back back and forth between the two, like it felt perfect, um, perfectly paced in my opinion. Yeah, so yeah, I, really I know enjoyed what you mean. that. Yeah, no, I thought it was, it was really cool. Obviously, we um, we saw him get robbed by the Jowers, which we knew happened um, from the Cobb Cob Vanth episode of season two when he obviously he got Boba Fett's armour for Jowers. I didn't even think that we'd see it, but you just know that John Favreau was sitting there and just thinking, yeah, we're going to get some more Jowers in here. Like He loves it, clearly. Um, so seeing him get robbed by the Jowers was class. Like I think... I just think it's so interesting to see Boba Fett, which is a character that has been renowned for how tough he is. You know, the Sarlacc has obviously taken a lot out of him. Escaping has taken a lot out of him. I imagine he probably burnt himself quite significantly when he was using his flamethrower. So, you know, he's passed out. And then there's that moment where he like grabs the Jawa's leg as if to say, right, do you know who I am? And then he just gets a rifle butt straight in the face and to these laughing Jawas just leaving him there left for dead. On the on the on the desert floor, I think if if the uh, if the Mandalorian and the Book of Boba Fett has taught us anything, it's in Jawas are little bastards, and uh, <laughs> they really are. I mean, they robbed a poor man of his armor and left him in his pajamas after beating him around the head with a stick and laughing at him. Absolute savages. Um, but I like that. I think that's a good way of showing you know, this fall from grace that Boba Fett's had. And then the rest of like the flashback of this episode is about Boba Fett, you know, proving himself again and doing it without his armor, which I think is another really cool sort of story trope, which has been used before of like stripping a hero from there, the thing that gives them power and are they still powerful? I mean, it's, they did it in Spider-Man um, Homecoming. They've done it in Iron Man. It's quite a cool sort of story trope. But I think it worked really well here of saying of being like, "This is Boba Fett in a desert with nothing. Can he still come out on top?" And obviously, this episode in the ending when he fights the Matt Champ, um, not the official canon name, um, does show us that he is still tough without his armor. So I think that's a really cool setup for the episode ties in with canon nicely everything all connects beautifully um and it also makes us hate jowers more so yeah i liked it yeah i think um i think what dave and john favreau are doing is that they're making tuscan raiders slightly more likable and jowers more hateable <laughs> exactly <laughs> like with it. although i had a theory um, that the uh, the little boy tuscan is secretly a jower because there's no way <laughs> <laughs> that he's not a Jawa with the amount of the as annoying as that little boy Tuscan is, he must be a Jawa, surely. <laughs> yeah, he was he was rather jarring. I think he was a bit big for his boots, that little uh, young Tuscan. He <laughs> oh, thought he was we'll, a dog's bollocks, yeah. We will get into it. I'm sure we will get into that, that, that little Tuscan. Yeah, <laughs> so it, was, uh, it was funny. What did you think of this introduction of the Tuscans? And it was like they were the ones that found him but he initially became their prisoner. And then this um, very like Western style story of like the natives arresting the cowboy and him being tied up. I mean, I love that beautiful shot of like him strapped to the log in front of the fire. That was literally ripped straight out of a Western. I thought that was really cool. What did you think of it being the Tuscans that found him and how Favreau and that used the Tuscans in this episode? Did you like it as much as I did? Yeah, I did. And I think I think it really fits in well with what we've seen from like the Tuscans like previously, you know, obviously in like the um original trilogy and the prequels, they were <clears throat> slightly more savage than that we have seen them recently. But I think what how they were in this episode really tied those two um like portrayals together. So obviously, you know, they 
kidnapped Boba or like took Boba, Boba um, tied him up, you know, beat him. Used, was trying to use him as like a, a slave worker thing, which is very something very similar we've seen um, in like the prequels with um, Anakin's mother. Obviously, probably some very similar sort of um, actions there. But then, obviously, as the episode went on, once Boba sort of gained their trust and proved himself a bit, you know, they showed a bit of sympathy, <clears throat> which is kind of sim- um, which is kind of similar to how we see in the Mandalorian. Like once you've proven yourself to these Tuskens, they'll give you a bit of respect. Not quite like just the brutal mental savages that we saw in the original trilogy. So I think um, I really don't like seeing them. I think it made a lot of sense. And I really think that Favreau and Filoni are really doing well to keep the Tuskens moving in the direction that they were. They were, moving, they were keeping them in like the Mandalorian while also yeah. paying homage or like keep not changing them too much from like what we've seen previously. Yeah, I think it's nice because they, I mean, we've talked about this before on the podcast, but the way that they're sort of selling them as a misunderstood group of people in the sense that you know the savages that we saw in the original trilogy and in the prequels like they were that way but it was also a misunderstanding of their culture and you know in their eyes they are the natives of Tatooine and everyone else in Tatooine are trespassing but also this this idea that you know when Mando and Cobb Vamp beat the Crate Dragon the Tuscans respect them and they respect the village of people that they had originally been pillaging, like Covamp's village, to agree, yeah, we'll leave them alone. So I think it's nice that they're sort of establishing this idea that like the Tuscan culture is very much founded on like respect and like toughness. And if you can go out and beat, you know, a monster that lives in the desert, then you're worthy of their respect and you're you're worthy of like not being hassled by them. Um, and I think that was um really nice to see and I actually think I think the first time I watched the episode I mean we are jumping all over the episode here but it's all to do with the Tuscans the f- when the episode ended on like the shot of like Boba Fett drinking the water I remember the first time I was like okay that's an interesting it's not like a cliffhanger really it's sort of an interesting ending and then I watched it the second time and I was like actually that's so like it's actually really poetic because it's like we've just seen at least in the flashbacks of like Boba you know beaten bruised you know, these Tuscans just beating the crap out of him. This is not the bounty hunter that we knew. This is not like the most feared bounty hunter in the galaxy. This is just some like shell of a man. And at the end of the episode, he proves that he is still Boba Fett. And then, you know, there's little kids running around saying, oh yeah, I defeated the big Matt Champ monster. Like, you know, it's all me and whatever. And then like the chief acknowledges, he's just like, I can, I can cut through the bullshit here. Boba, I know it was you. Have the water and drink. And it's that like look of pride on Boba Fett's face of being like, right, these people respect me now. Like they're not going to beat on me anymore. Like this is my path back to power beginning right now. So yeah, I thought it was a really poetic way of handling it. And I mean, I've said so many times how much I love the way that John Favreau writes the Tuscan Raiders. I think it's so cool. And I like that we're getting like different tribes, like this tribe where like the black cloaks instead of like the sort of um beige or khaki colors that we see like the other Tuscans wear. Um so I thought that was a really cool aspect. Obviously we saw like the massifs and um we actually saw women and children Tuscans in here instead of just the male Tuscans that we usually see. So I thought that was a, a really interesting aspect in the 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 culture of searching for the the uh, I think they're called black melons, I think the name that they've been given, but the the pods in the ground with the water in it, that's such an interesting idea. So um, yeah, I could ramble on about Tuscans in, in, in this episode and the Mando verse in general for, for hours. But yeah, I thought it was really, really good that not only is it great for Star Wars lore, but also worked really well for Boba Fett's character. Yeah, I think um, 
that final shot, like, as you say, I think was really poetic um, and like iconic. Because I mean, it's, a, it's one of the first times in the show, I know, uh, in that episode, that I actually just really noticed how like just beaten Boba Fett looks. You know, and other times of the things he's like off doing something else. You know, he's doing something that's like grabbed my attention or something like that. But like him standing there look, with that prideful look in his face, you can kind of, it's the first time I noticed that, you know, obviously he's got his face is all scarred, but it's also like his chest is like, like covered in like burned scars and things like that. And it's like, what? Well, it, it was the first time I really like, Jesus, like this man is taking like a beating over the last like however long he's obviously been um, on after breaking out of Sarlacc pit. You know, as, as you said, like he's been um, covered in like, the digestive juices, which are probably like burning away his his skin eventually in places, you know, he's maybe got some burn marks when he burned himself out and he's been sitting in the baking sun for days on end, you know, not just one sun, but two suns on Tatooine. Man, he's um, some moisturizer, seriously. Yeah. So that, that, that really like is points out like why we won see him in the back tank at the beginning of the episode. And then um, later on towards the end of the episode, we see him like desperately trying to get back into it. And like, um, it's clearly, Point, trying to point out like just how much he has like you know um, been in he has endured uh, over this the last couple of years um, you know it's been five years since he obviously broke out the Sarlacc pit and, and stuff and the, the wounds are still really there until you know he got into that back tank and healed himself you know he was still still suffering for that for five years so it's just impressive that he's he's still at the end of the episode like managing to obviously take on that um, <laughs> much champ fellow you said earlier and uh you know come out on top and still prove himself worthy of like the Tuscan's respect after such a I mean clear and obvious like beating um from the Tuscans and the the uh habitat of Tatooine itself yeah I do think it's interesting that like you know in the present day he's talking about you know ruling with respect and you know respect is something that was really big for Django Fett you know it it was being respected for being you know tough and all that sort of thing and legacy and I think it's it's quite interesting that that's that's actually quite a similarity between Boba Fett and the Tuscans is that you know he you know is is the reason why he goes into the the present day storyline of like wanting to rule Tatooine of respect has he learned this is this something he's learned from the Tuscans of being like actually they were all right to me once they respected me and and, and is the way of making people accept you by making them respect you, I guess. And we'll we'll see where that storyline goes further down. But I think it's an interesting little sort of connection there that I think possibly is where they're taking that, that Tuscan Raider storyline. Yeah. I mean, it was, um, it definitely plays a lot into the present day bobber. Um, as you said, he is more about ruling with respect. It's like, you know, why he didn't kill the two, um, like Gamoran guards. He gets like presented with, because he wants, he wants them to like respect him instead of fear him, which is, um, which is an honourable way of going about it, I suppose. And obviously, it works out in the end when they uh, capture him, or not capture him, they save him from uh, from the Moss uh, Esli. Is it Moss Esli? It's Moss Esper, to, I think. Moss Esper, uh, bring him back to his back tank. You know, clearly they're they're very grateful that he uh, didn't kill them straight away. So maybe this is like foreshadowing the the success of his mm. uh, ruling idea, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. And I also think it's, I think Boba Fett, they ran the risk when they were making a show about Boba Fett of like his whole character being, I'm a badass. Cause I think obviously that is cool and it works, but 
when you actually want a story with some depth, you need your characters to have more depth. And I think George Lucas has, you know, introduced depth to Boba Fett. Like the, the, the depth to his character isn't new in this show, but I think they're adding a new layer to his character and saying like, we're not just doing a show about a guy who wins every fight that he's in and he's a badass. We're doing a show about a guy who's been broken, beaten, fallen from power. And like, how is he going like, to bring it, get back to that place? And I got a little bit of the sense of, you know, like the flashback scene where he sees the, like the Nikto gang, like robbing the uh, moisture farmers. I feel like when he was watching that, I almost felt that you could see in his eyes of him being like, this isn't right. And maybe it's that, like the stuff that he sees in Tatooine for the five years before he comes back has like made him realise that Jabba's way of doing things was horrible. He was feeding into this like cycle of abuse and slavery and murder and you know he needs to change things and i think that's why i like when we see boba fett in the modern day so we'll jump into talking about that now the he still wants to be a crime lord he says it himself he says well i'm I'm supposed to be the crime lord he admits he's a crime lord he knows he's not saying i'm a good person now he's still a bad guy in the sense of he's a crime lord but he's trying to be a crime lord who you know hopefully people around benefit from him instead of just draining everyone. You know, he says to um, Gosseth Whip, the Twi'lek um, who owns the bar, he says like, hopefully like your business will continue to prosper under my watchful eye. He wants, or at least we think he wants people to prosper under his rule and he wants people to respect him and he'll give them the respect they deserve. So I think the difference that we're seeing in Boba Fett as a character, I think the flashbacks are really nicely, um, explaining and um yeah that's why i i really really like that um and i really like the the, the little bit of the modern day that we saw as well what, what did you think overall of the the modern day stuff in this episode uh yeah i liked it i think it did a good job of setting up um the fact that you know bobber is is new to being like a crime lord like you know for his whole life he's just been someone that was paid to do jobs and he didn't ask any questions or really care about much else apart from just getting paid and doing his job and now he's he's having to take on this responsibility of being a crime lord and you know there's a lot of extra things that come with that such as you know you have other people trying to take take um take your place like constantly you gotta it's about finding a way to get to show your you know a lot of authority to people but obviously the way Jabba did it and the way Bobba did it are very different so Bob was trying to work out how He's going to like migrate all those people that worked under Jabba into his way, I suppose. Um, which then was obviously very obvious in the uh, like the, the fight scene just after he left the, the uh, cantina with those uh, know, like seven fellas that uh, jumped him and Finnick. I mean, I mean, I'm not. I'm assuming that's not much something that Jabba ever had to um, had to worry about. You didn't see very often that people you know, jumping uh, Jabba. Uh, it was more like secret assassins and things like that. It wasn't such like an obvious display of like disrespect um, as as Bobber had to uh, endure mm-hmm. in that fight scene, um, which then obviously he came out on top, um, but only just about, and with Phoenix help, and then he had to get carried back to a back tank. You know, so it's not like here, as you said, it's like a yeah. fight that he like won hands down. It, it was a struggle for him, and it, it adds some add some depth to his character in the side, as you said earlier, he's not someone who can win every fight now. Um, one, because of what he suffered on Tatooine and two, this is like a completely new um, like level of, of the game for him, I suppose, you know, he's taken it up a notch and uh, mm-hmm. he's going to have to put up with the extra threats and, and things that come with it. 
Yeah, no, definitely. I completely agree. And I think the the title of the episode being Stranger in a Strange Place completely applies to both the flashback and the modern day storyline. You know, in the flashback, he's a stranger in a strange place, but in like the desert of Tatooine, the Tuscan culture. And then, as you said, like in the modern day, he's a stranger in a strange place because he's not used to being a ruler. He's used to just being a bounty hunter who gets paid to do a job and he can cut in and out, kill who he needs to kill. That's it. Done. Never, never really ask any questions. So I do think that thematically this idea of being a fish out of water works really well in both parts of the storyline and does work really well in the, um, in, in like the modern day story. And I think it's, it's really, I really liked how they did it because they used quite a lot of comedy. I thought like, I mean, the chemistry between Fennec Shand and Boba Fett is brilliant. I think those two actors play off each other really well. Um, they've got like a good sort of, um, sort of banter, which is quite nice to see, particularly you don't see it that much. Um, sort of like a banter between a male and a female character where it's not like a flirty banter. It's just like a mutual respect, but they like banter back and forth with each other. I thought that was really funny and quite, you know, rare to see in like American media nowadays, which is, which is good. Um, and I just think like they use the comedy really well to sort of show how out of place like Boba was, you know, in the sense of, and Fennec as well, uh, and Fennec in her job, you know, she's, you know, the, him saying, um, I can't remember what the exact line was, but her response just being like, should I kill him? And then being like, no, no, no. And him saying, well, I'm the crime Lord. He should be paying me. Um, you know, and them going into cantina and giving the helmets over and saying to Fennec, oh, you should um, accept their traditions and stuff like that. So it's, they had this like banter back and forth, which was funny and it worked for comedic effects, but it also showed that both of them don't really know what they're doing. They're completely new to this game. He doesn't know how to be a crime Lord. Really? She doesn't, she, you know, is quite competent at a lot of things, but, you know, being his assistant, some of the calls that she made was probably right. Some of the calls, like just getting the Gamorians killed would have ended up being wrong. And it's good that Boba didn't listen to her. So I liked that there's this like tension between them of like, not always in agreement of what they should do, but she's always loyal to Boba, listens to Boba. Sometimes he should be listening to her more. Sometimes he's right in taking his own stand. Um, and I do think there's that sort of interesting relationship between the two of them, which I thought was playing out really well. Um, and yeah, I really liked the the part when um, they were talking about, as you were saying, like Jabba being sort of like carried about. And Boba said like <clears throat> he intends to stand on his own two feet and he wants to be a different sort of leader. He doesn't just want to be, you know, marched around like paraded and everyone's sort of worshipping him. He wants people to look at him and think that's a man I respect. That's a man that I want to, you know, be in charge. Um, so I think, yeah, the whole the whole modern day stuff <clears throat> is really interesting. And I think it definitely sets up a lot of what's to come. I definitely have theories and I think we'll get to theories probably at the end of the episode of where we think it might be going. But obviously I'm assuming next episode, we're going to meet this mayor character who I assume is the Ithorian from the trailers. I'm not hundred percent sure, but um, I thought the, the mayor's major domo that we were introduced to was a really interesting character and quite, sort of snarky in the way that he was speaking to them. Um, and I guess we're sort of meant to, supposed to assume, and I think it's probably the case that the mayor sent those assassins after him for sort of disrespecting him because clearly the two of them are fighting over control of the same part of Tatooine, I guess. So yeah, really interested to see where it, where it goes. Um, again, uh, I'm very happy to see the Gamorians coming in to save the day in that fight scene. John Favreau 
talked in the Mando season two documentary about how much he loves Gaborians and that's why he put them in Mando season two. So yeah, I loved seeing the Gaborians again. They were sort of like the unsung heroes of this episode. And um, yeah, there was a lot of great stuff, great stuff going on there. Yeah, I think as well, as, as you mentioned, the uh, relationship between Boba and Fennec, <clears throat> it's like, I feel like just because Bob is trying to go in like his own direction with like his crime lord thing, I feel like they, some of the immediate decisions they think of to do first, especially maybe on Fennec's side as she's kind of following Bob's lead, is probably just some stuff they've seen like other crime lords do. You know, we all know Bob used to stand in Jabba's palace like, and watch him do whatever shit he was doing so it's probably YouTube his tutorials. first thought is yeah so their first thought is probably just to copy exactly what they've seen before you know anyone that disrespected Jabba was straight down in the in the pit um, to be killed in front of everyone um, or you know taken around a barge to be dropped in the Sarlacc pit you know big grand gestures of to make people fear him but obviously then as Bob was going in a different direction it's probably where there's a lot of um, like hesitations on their own ideas because they're like these are complete this is a completely new direction for crime lords to go in and this isn't what's the norm so that's probably why there's, there's a lot of mm-hmm. um like debate between the two of them about what's probably the best idea but it's probably a bit more towards a way of going back to the the original um jab of the hut just kill everyone that disrespects you sort of ways while bob was a bit more yeah a bit more um uh, don't know, a bit more patience I suppose and it's going to be interesting to see how this series goes out of is Bob are going to realise that he can't use the technique he wants to use because you know people like the mayor are going to fight back against him and he's going to have situations like this where he gets attacked in the street in front of all these people or is he going to realise that his way is actually the correct way and he's just got to keep fighting through and I think that's an interesting question that this episode poses and definitely looking forward to see where it goes yeah true I mean I'm um... Uh, yeah, that's going to be a good, a big theme of the whole season, I suppose. And it'll probably be like the last few episodes where it finally get answered, I'm, I'm sure. Yeah. Did you uh, did you like the good old uh, Fennec Shand fa- uh, chase sequence in this with a little bit of parkour and stuff? That was a. Oh, oh I did, yeah. Oh, yeah, I do love a good parkour rooftop chase sequence. Yeah, no, it was, it was really good. Showed off a bit more Fennec's uh, skills. Yeah, she's, you know, a where she, she's a beast. She's just easily following these two assassins um, and then gets to drop on them. I love it when she just like kicked that one off the roof as well. She's like, <laughs> you could see, you could see in everyone's eyes. They were just sitting thinking like, she doesn't need both of us. And it's like, no, off you go. See you later, mate. I found it so funny. I noticed it the third time when I just rewatched it today before recording. I just really laughed when Boba blows up the guy with his wrist rocket, just completely disintegrates him to dust and then turns to Fanny and he's like, alive. And it's like, bro, you just disintegrated someone. <laughs> you can't talk, mate. I like that was, like, that was actually a good fight scene as well. I think um, they did a good job of showing, obviously, you know, both Bob and Fennec's skill. Um, but then, obviously, but where Bob is maybe a bit, still a bit on the weaker side. Um, he yeah. got got he got the uh, kind of jump on him. Uh, yeah. Some of the some of those electric sticks. Although I will point out that some of those when um, Fennec and Bob used their like electric staffs on the assassins, they went down almost like one hit. Well, Bobber was taking a few, a few to the chest with those. Yeah, he's so, tanking it. Yeah, it shows off his uh, right. just absolute determination and willpower. So, Tamara Morrison has been hitting the gym since he was in Mando season two. Do you notice him? He's looking big. He's yoked. <laughs> My guy. Yeah. 
Wait, if I can look in, if I can look in that shape in my sixties, I've done something right. <laughs> yeah, he's been days been down the gym, but I do think it's quite. I think the 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 reason because obviously when we see him in episode six, Amando season two, like he easily deals with all those stormtroopers, and this is before this. And I think I did see a couple of comments of like, you know, he he got his ass handed to him really by these assassins, and you know, the stormtroopers he dealt with really easily. Firstly, stormtroopers are stormtroopers; they're just, I mean, they're cannon fodder. Really, if you're someone as skilled as Boba Fett, you can plow through them no problem at all. Boba Fett was wandering the streets of Tatooine, minding his own business with a helmet full of gold, and then he gets surrounded by like seven or eight assassins, all having these shields, and they. Like they've planned it perfectly so the two of them are trapped in and obviously they've got tough weapons and everything and him and Fennec still managed to win. So I, I think, you know, this idea that Boba is weaker, I think this was just an, an ambush that he was not expecting and, you know, they still got out of it alive and he had to go into the Sarlacc to heal up because I imagine all that electricity pumping into him probably isn't good for his wounds and stuff. Um, but I wouldn't say it's evidence of him being you know, weaker than we saw him in the Mandalorian. It's just, this is still a guy who is still having to heal to get back to how he was. But he, this was a, a difficult threat. Like these are pretty skilled assassins, which makes me question where they've come from because, you know, they were, they were pretty skilled. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty, I'm <laughs> just saying he's comparing fighting stormtroopers against like skilled assassins. It's like being like, well, you know, Anakin Skywalker took on all those battle droids, but lost in a fight to Ventura. He's got his ass hand to him. Like, okay, like, yeah, okay, all right. These fat shields that like, he fired his wrist rocket at the shield and it f- flung him backwards. Like, they're not to be messed with, those little sort of energy shields. Yeah, they were, they were skilled assassins and, you know, they... um <clears throat> they went toe to toe with Boba Fett and Fanny Shan. Plus, they're outnumbered. Yeah, and yeah. As you say, you know, they come well equipped. It was the Gamorians they couldn't handle, though. The Gamorian that like sliced the assassin's neck. I was like, yes, get in, boy. <laughs> yeah, they came in hard. They weren't messing about. They, oh, I loved they, it. They went in. I just, I love this thing that like Favreau's doing of just like giving these like background characters from um, the original trilogy or like background aliens, and I recontextualizing them because obviously we, he's done it with Tuscans, he's done it with Jawas. Now he's doing it with Gamorreans. He's like, he's turning around and saying, like, Gamorreans are badass beasts and you should respect them. And after this episode, I'm like, hell yeah, I'm on Team Gamorrean. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. They were like the guards for Jabba the Hutt. You know, he didn't, he didn't hire them for, for nothing. I suppose they probably were chief and slaves, but yeah, I guess we just know, thought they served a purpose. We thought they were weak because Luke dealt with them so easily, but really it's Luke Skywalker, Jedi Knight. And dealt with them so easily, you know. Anyone yeah. else, they better be scared of those Gamorians. They're beasts. Yeah, I mean, true. They, they, they did. They went in and just tore through those assassins. Like they were just wailing on them with their like, but no swords, spears, or whatever it was. Yeah, they went, they went in hard. weren't messing about. Yeah, this was um, obviously being an episode directed by Robert Rodriguez. You, I expected the action to be pretty good, and I think we weren't let down. I think some of the fights with the Tuscan Raiders were really cool. Obviously, the fight with the big beasts from under the sand, that was pretty awesome. Um, but I do think the the Western influence on this episode and sort of the like the old sort of, um, particularly like Robert Rodriguez, I believe, and I don't want to say this incorrectly, but I believe he's Mexican, I think. I hope I'm correct. Um, I mean, I, I know he's, he's American, but I think he's, his background is Mexican, I believe. 
hope I'm not wrong. If I'm wrong, I apologize. But a lot of his, some of his films that he's directed in the past have focused on like that, like the Mexican side of like the Western stories. Um, so I think that there was definitely some like really interesting sort of from the music to the, some of the way that the shots were done of just sort of like feeling like that sort of like Latin side of the Western story, which I, I really liked. I thought those influences came through really well and I thought they looked really cool. Um, obviously, I think this episode was written, yeah, it was written by Favreau, directed by Rodriguez. I think the two of them work quite well together. So I, I like that combination. I like the visual style. I think the the volume is definitely improving. Like some of the shots on Tatooine in the desert, like I couldn't tell at all that they were in the volume, whereas season one of Mando, you could sometimes tell. So I definitely think the volume technology has come a long way. Show's looking stunning. Um, and then I wanted to talk about the score because I didn't realise until I've studied the credits, Ludwig Göransson is not the, um, he's not done the score. His his oh. role has changed. Are they not? Yeah. So when you read the credits, it's um, themes by Ludwig Göransson and then score by someone called Joseph Shirley. Um, oh. So I think what's happened, and I did a little bit of research about this Joseph Shirley guy. So he worked on, the Mandalorian as something called a score programmer, but he also worked on Black Panther as well, which was also done by Ludwig Göransson. So I feel like the two of them have been working together for years. And it seems that like maybe Ludwig doesn't have the time to score the entire seven episodes, but he's sort of written some of the, some of the themes, some of the motifs to the music, and then has left this guy who he collaborates with to do the rest of the work, um, which I think is really interesting because it feels like a Ludwig Göransson score, but it's actually not. He's just written the themes. I think there's a um, they've done a good job of it. Yeah, they have. Like, yeah, I thought it was uh, Ludwig, um, but oh, I don't know. Then. Yeah. yeah, I mean, did, did a good job. And so I think I he wrote the... like the main theme, like the the one that played when like the title came up, the like like that one. I think. Goranson wrote that one and then the rest of the episode's been scored by this other guy, but he's done a good job of keeping that style. And it feels like he uses like the sort of like some of the chords from like the Boba Fett music from last season of Mandalorian throughout the episode as well. And then oh, it just feels very like Western-y, very like, as I said, like some of that Mexican influence comes through there. And then like, obviously some of like the, the harsh Boba Fett stuff comes through as well. So I think they've done a such good job with the, the music as, as per usual with Star Wars never fails. Yeah. I mean, I know it's only episode one, but I'm looking forward to hopefully seeing that, um, you know, that, that behind the scenes gallery stuff they do, like they did with the Mandalorian and stuff. I hope they do. Them for yeah. And I hope they do it. I hope they do like a, a few episodes and one specifically on like the music and, stuff because i really enjoyed the that episode on the mandalorian like the music yeah yeah so that'd be nice if they do that again yeah no i am um, i really enjoy, i just wanted to point out because i was just like oh so it's to look is involved he's not the main composer um but it is a long time collaborator of his so i think clearly the two of them know how to work with each other so yeah big up big up the score i will come back to the score a little bit later when we sort of talk about um, theories but I just want to uh, go to our usual segments talking about characters and um, when we do these episodes when we talk about the Mandalorian when we were re-watching it in some of our previous episodes we talk about our um, standout characters and our favourite background characters and something that we enjoy doing and seems that listeners enjoy it as well so we're going to continue that with our Book of Boba Fett coverage um, so we'll start with our standout character episodes this is sort of 
for people who haven't listened before, this is like the character who's sort of a, a main character in the episode or a sort of a side character in the episode who stands out the most for us, um, whether it's in terms of, you know, the, the dialogue, the action, whatever, um, but not, you know, it's characters who typically speak lines or are involved heavily in the episode. Um, so do you want to start with your standout character episode? Yeah, go on. Um, I mean, my, my standout character is uh, is old Fennec Shand, a character we've seen a few times in uh, Star Wars media previously. Um, but I just think, you know, I was worried going into this episode that or this series of how much of a, I don't know, like a back seat she would take sort of thing. Um, you know, obviously the the being Book of Boba Fett and obviously everyone's waited like 40 years for some Boba Fett action and stuff. And I was really worried she'd get lost in in the um in the Boba Fett appreciation and love and attention. But I think in this episode, you know, she did a fantastic job of you know, standing out and being a side, you know, a that main protagonist alongside Boba Fett in this episode. You know, she was fantastic in the they bounced really well off each other, her and Boba Fett in the scene where everyone's paying tributes you know she she has some interesting enough you know funny dialogue options there it's not just standing in the background as like a lamppost um you know and obviously when they go out into the into the city and they you know they get jumped um she is fully participating in the fight as well alongside Boba Fett and then obviously the parkour scene you know she she brings a lot to the table in this first episode which um I think is really good and I'm I'm really excited to see where she goes in this in this season because I feel like she could have quite easily just been a been a like piece of furniture in the background um, while the the camera pans up and down Boba Fett every two seconds. So I'm glad that she gets she gets quite a lot of attention and uh, manages to actually make an impact on this on this episode. So hats off to Fennec Shand. Yeah, I agree. I think the last Mando rewatch episode we did, I think Fennec Shand was my standout character. So um, I think me and John were both certified Fennec Shand fans. I think she's a great character. And um, Ming-Na Wen just carries that role so well. I think they've also like slightly updated the suit in this. Like the suit was looking crisp. It was looking clean. It was like, oh, they just, they look really good. So um, yeah, big up. I think obviously this episode didn't leave us with a huge amount of characters. So this might be the boring answer, but for me, it's the answer. My standout character was Boba himself. I've said it before on the podcast, um, many times Boba was never a character that was just like um, that I was you know I was never really a massive Boba Fett fan didn't dislike him I was just always a bit meh on him till I started watching like the Clone Wars Mando season two and started realizing there was more to him than just this guy who stood there and said badass lines um, and I just loved how this episode really just took all those criticisms that you could have of Boba Fett's character of saying he's you know there's no guy under that helmet it's just he's just a you know bad badass you know with no substance and said no here you go here's a character with substance i thought seeing boba fett as you know as a broken guy after this you know event that's happened to him seeing him being beaten broken you know burnt (laughs) under the twin suns you know left for dead on the sands of tatooine all this seeing him at the lowest we've seen boba fett ever um and then seeing him rise from that and proving himself. And then in the present day, seeing him as this, like, he still feels, because of Tamara Morrison's performance, he still feels like Boba Fett to his core, but it feels like a new Boba Fett. And I think that's what makes it interesting is we're starting to find out why he's a new Boba Fett. And, but we don't know 100% 
yet. And I think that's what continues to make the show really interesting for me. I think if this was, you know, Boba Fett, you know, in an arena fighting villains every week for seven weeks, yeah, it'd be cool. But would it really be a, a great Star Wars story? And I think the show rests on a really interesting character study of who Boba Fett is now post episode six. And I think we're getting that, but I also get the feeling that they're starting because of those flashbacks of Camino and Genosis. And they're really pulling on all aspects of Boba Fett's character. You know, this is, this is a, a tortured soul who has, you know, taken out the anger of losing his father on the galaxy for years and finally got his comeuppance in ending up in the Sarlacc pit. And who is this new guy who's emerged from that Sarlacc pit? Salak Petsy, he was a standout character for me. Loved his fight with the with the Matt Champ. <laughs> Loved um, just there was a lot in the flashbacks of like Boba Fett not saying much. I'm sure you picked up on this as well of just like silence, um, and he only delivered just a few lines of dialogues. But just the expressions Tamara Morrison's face are so emotive, and they tell you so much about him having to say anything. Um, and I just love you know the the, the the moment when he turns to the massive and says like no hard feelings mate that killed me i thought that was brilliant so i just love everything that tomorrow morrison brings to boba fett i love him in this show and um i'm just really really excited to to see where the show takes boba fett because i think he you know he really it really feels like a boba fett show after this first episode it doesn't just feel like a tick list of fanboy wants from seeing Boba Fett in the past. It feels like, right, this is the Boba Fett of 2022, or this is the Boba Fett of five years after the New Republic. This is the character that we're going to get, and um, we're actually going to dive deep, and uh, I appreciate that. So that was my standout character of the episode. In in the show called Book of Boba Fett, it was Boba Fett. (laughs) No, yeah, I mean, as you said, there wasn't many choices, but I think... think, um, what they've done with these two characters in this first episode has actually been um, very good. Like they could have easily just, you know, as you said, done just Boba Fett action shots for every play seconds. And people would have, I'm sure clapped and cheered for it until probably about episode five. And people would have been like, all right, let's, let's, let's go on with this now. Um, yeah. So I think they've got, they've started off in, a, in the good direction for these, these two characters. I hope one episode Fennec gets really badly hurt and she ends up in the back to, and then we have some like Fennec backstory as well. I think that'd be really cool. Mm. Oh yeah. That'd be, yeah. That'd be actually really good. Um, and into prediction territory. Let's quickly do background characters, and then we'll talk about a couple of predictions before we wrap up. Can I go first on background character? Because I'm, I'm, I'm so excited to talk about this. Yeah, so you're gonna. <laughs> I've tiptoed around talking about the cantina scene because I didn't want to talk about it. But come on, background character Max Rebo, the boy is back. I'm, I was so buzzing. It was we were watching um, the when we watched Book of Boba Fett. Me and John, two of our other friends, Joe and Jack, we all got on the old Disney um, watch party thing where we all watched it at the same time, um, eight in the morning on last Wednesday. And so we were all just watching along, put a couple of emojis here and there, whatever, a couple of comments in the group chat. When Max Rebo popped up, I was straight on the group chat. I was like, oh my God, it's Max Rebo. And I think, was it, was it Jack? One of them were like, who's Max Rebo? <laughs> and I was like, oh, this is the goat responsible for one of John's favorite part- pieces of air. Uh, favorite pieces of Star Wars music, the Jedi rock song from Return of the Jedi. Um, one of the greatest musicians in the Star Wars galaxy and just seeing him back, he survived the sail barge. He's chilling in this, in this new 
like sanctuary cantina. He's playing alongside a Bith who has not been confirmed to be figuring Dan of the uh, modal nodes, but I'm hoping that you know he is. Eventually, they confirm that that is figuring Dan, who's the the lead musician of the modal nodes from episode four from the original cantina scene. At least in my head, canon it is. He's teamed up with him and an astromech drummer to perform this sort of like Latin remix of the OG Cantina music. It's perfect. It's the most brilliant, weird Star Wars nostalgia, but changing it for the modern day thing that we've seen in a long time. I love it. You can tell Favreau, Filoni and Rodriguez were so gassed with themselves when they put this in the episode and I just felt it. So I was just like, I've got to show my love for Max Rebo. Unbelievable stuff. Big up. The, the return of I saw all the memes where like people just with pictures of Max Reba and then the the title Return of the King from Lord of the Rings <laughs> which cracked me up before it was brilliant so yeah big up Max Reba yeah big up it's nice to see see the return of such a legend it's nice to see he's uh, <clears throat> moving up in the world ever so slightly he's not not working out that dump in uh, in most eyes he's gone up in the world yeah exactly it's definitely a more, a more prestigious looking place to be than uh, Jabba's cell barge and Jabba's palace so he's done well and in my head him figuring Dan and this astromech drummer have like come together to form like the Star Wars super group of, uh, of on Tatooine and uh, I love it I hope we see them again mm. yeah me too um well, it's set our characters we've uh, we've mentioned uh, previously on this episode, um, but it is the, the Gamoran guards for yes, big up. everything we we mentioned in the in the in the previous uh, stuff. Obviously, them just absolutely tanking their way through those assassins. Um, but it's just nice to see nice to see them back in uh, on Tatooine and in and under Boba's rule. Hopefully, they get a bit more um, glory and recognition than they did under under uh, Jabba, which I think they're already going to get. I mean, it's, Bob seems to be treating them with some respects yeah. uh, and they're, they're giving it back, which is what we what we like to see. Um, Although he wouldn't let them get hosed down and cleaned at the bar. I was disappointed in him for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're probably like, as he, as he said, no, they're like, oh, <laughs> I was looking forward to that. <laughs> um, yeah, no, some some good characters. As, as you said, you know, it's nice to see that um, Favreau and, and stuff are like, bringing back characters from, or like aliens, at least from other older Star Wars episodes and hopefully going to expand upon them a bit more. Yeah. So yeah. I'm hoping we see a bit more of a, a bit more of Gamoran culture, maybe a bit more from these Gamoran guards before the, before the series ends. Yeah, that'd be awesome. And, and in agreement, I hope that we get to see more of Max Rebo. I hope that Boba Fett and Max Rebo have a conversation about his new song and how Boba Fett really likes it. <laughs> Yeah, I hope he gets hired for uh, for Bob. Oh yes, and come back to the palace. Musician. Yeah, be... he says you can only come back if you bring back the. Uh, I can't remember the name of the the alien with really long lips who, who sings the. <laughs> oh, the Jedi rocks. Yeah, that's yeah, that's what we want. That is what we want. Uh, yeah, big up, big up. My my blue elephant friend Max Rebo. Um, I think the only other character that I wanted to bring up, not as a favourite background character, a standout character, just as a character that has got the fandom talking, is the little Tuscan boy <laughs> who beat on Boba Fett, constantly wound him up, made him dig for water, and then after Boba Fett saves his life, went around and claimed that it was him. I think he just needs a little bit of appreciation for the absolute audacity of the little bastard. <laughs> Yeah, 
He does. That man is, as I said earlier, getting too big for his boots. So, you know, when he's running back to camp for like cheering, holding his head, and it's like, what on earth? You didn't even do anything. Like, you sat there like a little bitch for probably like saving your life. I loved it. And I loved like the fan reaction on Twitter. It was like so split. Like I saw some people being like, this is my new best friend. And some people like this little bastard needs to die next episode. <laughs> I loved it. <laughs> Such a Marmite character. I thought it was brilliant. And I sort of like, I hate him, but love to hate him at the same time. And I thought it was almost endearing about how much of an annoying little child he is. <laughs> Anakin yeah, I mean, definitely I- would have dealt with him quickly. <laughs> Yeah, Anakin had him. I'm surprised that the the you know Tuscan elders let let them go out alone. Like they let this kid go out. Yeah, I know he's got like his yeah. his dog with him or whatever, but still, they've clearly put too much faith in this fella. <laughs> it was a test. They were just they were they were thinking, oh, we'll send him out with Boba and we'll see who comes back alive. <laughs> they wanted to get yeah. rid of him as well. He was getting too big for boots in camp. He kept on like. Uh, eating all like the food and stuff and not telling anyone yeah to be fair that wouldn't surprise me they sent him out knowing that Boba Fett <laughs> would kill him so then they can deal two birds with one stone there um, yeah so I just thought we had to mention that character because it, it was a funny included my my one last thing that I want to add um, I don't have sort of like list of easter eggs like I usually do just because there's a lot and it takes a lot of time to get for it so I think easter egg wise we'll just sort of mention things as we notice them but this is one easter egg that I did notice and I wanted to mention the Rodian um that we encounter at the little Tuscan camp when um and Bob is like Rodian do you want me to cut your bonds which I thought was a great line um is actually voiced by the great Sam Witwer did you know that John oh no way yeah Oh, that is good. class. So, he, so Sam Whitworth does the Rodian voice yeah, perfectly well as well, which I think is incredible. Um, so yeah, pick up Sam Whitworth. I did not know that. Sam Whitworth, oh, what an absolute legend that man is. Yeah, I only saw it on Twitter because um, uh, I follow David Collins, who, David W. Collins, uh, whatever, the brilliant guy, he works for the Lucasfilm Sound department and he's worked mm-hmm. on loads of Lucasfilm projects and he tweeted out a uh, little fun fact the Rodian was voiced by my good friend Sam Whitworth so I just love this idea that Sam Whitworth just gets dragged in to Lucasfilm sound to just record weird little voices and you just sprinkle him about all over the place <laughs> yeah I mean although knowing Sam um, from what I've seen on Twitter and interviews and stuff it probably doesn't take much to get no. him down there they just look, Lucasfilm is like straight out of thought I'm on my way I'm on my way I'm coming in yeah. what it's am like I voicing today <laughs> and also you just imagine they like could you, could you do Rodian and then instantly he's just like taking a deep breath and he's just like suddenly in character as a Rodian <laughs> yeah he's definitely sat there he's sitting there at home like practicing just just waiting for the call up uh, so yeah I thought I'd drop that little that little bit of a little bit of fun in there just because I saw that on Twitter and I just thought it was too good not to mention <laughs> mm, that's a great fact I enjoyed that right well I think we're nearly there to wrap up the episode but I just kind of wanted to talk about um, if you've got any any sort of predictions coming off the back of this episode about where we might be going um, the only sort of little thing that I did want to talk about was um, if you if you listen to the credits all the way through so like you listen to all the watch all the um, concept art part of the credits and then when it goes to the black screen um, and the credits roll in like the traditional style the score continues on like the nice book of boba fett theme which they have released on youtube and it's called like the book of boba fett themes it's like the official theme and it like kicks in to like 
what sounds to me like a per, like a exact same as the Crimson Dawn theme from Solo, a Star Wars story. Have you had a chance to listen to this yet, John? Uh, no. Uh, I haven't listened to the Crimson yeah. Dawn one in a while either. Yeah, because if you just go on YouTube and type in like Crimson Dawn theme, it's just song, it's like, it's like, and then like you go to the end of this and then it like continues like the Boba Fett thing of like the sort of like the cool sort of like latin vibes on it but then it's like mixed in with what sounds exactly like the crimson dawn theme so um i don't want to speculate irresponsibly but come on that's got to say that crimson dawn's coming in this series right i mean yeah if it is the same music i'd say so it's too similar to be a coincidence in my opinion if it's a coincidence it is the biggest coincidence ever and the fact that no one picked up on it that it might be misleading baffles me (laughs) Hmm. Well, I mean, as I think when I said it when we were talking about Boba Fett's like biggest moments the other day, we were talking about like War of the Bounty Hunters and stuff. That just yes, that's a, literally a story that's just intertwined Boba Fett and Crimson Dawn together. So mm-hmm. it wouldn't surprise yeah. me if this is like a like a um, a way to get people talking about the two. So I've got I've got a, a wild theory, and I'm going to put it out here. It's probably wrong, but I'm going to spit my wild theory out, and we'll see what happens. Are you ready for it, John? Uh, my, my wild theory is that the mayor that they're talking about is this authorian guy he's part of crimson dawn so he gets pissed off and sends out his assassins who all happen to be wearing crimson robes um and they're pretty skilled and they look a bit like the crimson dawn assassins that are in one of the Darth Vader comics from the recent war of the bounty hunters so to me they're crimson dawn assassins right so the this conflict that he has with the mayor you know, the mayor's involved with Crimson Dawn. We find out more about Crimson Dawn. Cool. They're sort of a big part of this series. Whether we see Kira or not, I'm not sure. I have a feeling that maybe she's dead and someone else is running Crimson Dawn. Okay. However, who else could be running Crimson Dawn, you ask? Now, this is where Dan McCroy's theory comes in. I reckon that Crimson Dawn has been taken over by someone who is trying to seize control at as of as much power in the outer rim of the galaxy as he possibly can. The great Grand Admiral Thrawn, who's ready to make his return. There you go, that's my theory. And is that where you're going with that? So you <laughs> said, uh, get power in the outer rim. I was like, he's going to mention a Thrawn. <laughs> it's got to be. Thrawn has taken over Dawn. There you go, you've had it here first. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't say it's particularly far-fetched. It would be very, it would be very cool. It's, it's just because I'm thinking that like they've talked about how all these shows are going to interconnect into sort of like this climactic story event like Mandalorian and um, Book of Boba Fett, Ahsoka, sort of all going to be tied together. We know Ahsoka's going to bring back Thrawn. We know that Ahsoka mentioned Thrawn in Mando season two. And like, the outlier is Book of Boba Fett. Like, how could Boba Fett connect to this storyline that they're building up to? And maybe it's the fact that Thrawn is trying to control the un- is trying to gain control of the underworld as well as you know the Imperial remnant that you know he's tying in with Moff Gideon and all that sort of thing. So that's my big, um, you know, the meme of the guy with the boards and all the little lines between it. That's my big theory here <laughs> yeah. that it all ties back to Thrawn through Crimson Dawn because it rhymes as well. So poetry. Oh, nice. I mean, if it does, uh, we. You know, I'll be the first to congratulate you, and obviously be very excited to see Crowd Animal Thrawn in uh, on live action. Yeah, have you got any little um, predictions or any? any do you think think you know have any idea of where you think things might go in the next couple of episodes? Uh not massively. I I don't know. I feel like 
Boba Fett is maybe going to try and be slightly more proactive with his um, criminal underworld seizing of activities. Yeah, like I feel like after this, you know, after this beating he's taken, um, he might want to be like, you know what, I'm going to go out and the ones that who are actually showing me disrespect first, um, they'll be the first to go and get his wrath, and we'll see, we'll see some mm. uh, some sick Boba Fett action scenes against against um, those. I don't, I don't think it will like immediately that. be yeah. the the mayor fella who is the most obvious um, culprit of the uh, attack. I feel like it might be some maybe start a few lesser um, factions that are trying to kind of brush off Boba now that Jabba's dead uh, mm-hmm. or Bit Fortuna's dead. Um, but yeah that's probably where I think it's going to go in the next few episodes I'm not really yeah. sure I like that I like that him trying to um, he's been disrespected publicly and he's got to put his foot down yeah, yeah. without going like overboard with it because obviously yeah. he's trying to be a bit more respectful but obviously he can't be disrespected in, in public without having some sort of repercussions and then that's when he finds out that the person that he's going to deal with has hired Bosk it's <laughs> <laughs> not bad uh, it's not bad chap who knows? Who knows? Right. I think we've we've speculated enough. I think we can probably wrap up the episode there, do you think? Yeah, those would be for hours, I think. Yeah. But overall, I think safe to say we're both pretty excited about the first episode and where the show's going. Yeah, of course. Obviously, yeah. Off to a flying start, I think. Off to a flying start, yeah. Live action Star Wars on the TV continues to be a uh cornerstone of the brilliance in the Star Wars universe at the moment. So a uh, big up. John Favreau, Dave Filoni, and Robert Rodriguez on on that first episode. It was a it was a banger, and I'm looking forward to episode two in just a couple of days. Yeah, me too. And you know, in the in those boys we trust, and uh, I've I've got very high hopes for the next few next episode. Um, yeah, and I look forward to watching it. Definitely, right? Okay, so that's our uh, that's our recap review discussion of uh, Book of Boba Fett episode one, Stranger in a Strange Place. Um, so if you've enjoyed it, <clears throat> we will be back next week to talk about episode two. Um, so make sure you follow, like, subscribe to our podcast <clears throat> so that you don't miss an episode. If you have the capacity on your podcast app to leave a review, I know you can now leave ratings on Spotify as well. So if you have the capacity to do so please leave us a review it helps get the podcast out there to more people if you could follow us on instagram at life from vader's castle twitter at vader's castle pod we're live from vader's castle on youtube twitch tiktok so we're all over the place if you want more from us um for the book fans i'm gonna have a review very very spoiler free review of the fallen star out probably i think tomorrow is the day when people who are supposed to be able to post early you're allowed to so i'm just going to do it at the same time as them so i don't look dodgy even though i got the book three weeks early um so i have a review for fallen star before me and john do our detailed detailed review with spoilers in a couple weeks time um so that will be on instagram at live invaders castle and that's everything from me yeah that's everything from me here uh thank you very much for listening guys see you next week goodbye <laughs>